Elliot Hulse started to gain popularity in the midst of the red pill movement. And to be honest with you, I wasn't a big fan when I first saw the stuff he was putting out. But as I learned who he was and as his message started to really mature, I found out that he wasn't the misogynist that people said he was. He wasn't the extremist that people tried to paint him as. He's actually a really good guy with a really good heart and who wants to help men be better men, which is why we asked him to be on the Manlyhood Mancast. We're going to get into the interview right after this. Are you ready to live life to the full? Are you ready to rise up and live a life of honor? Are you ready to boldly step into a life of courage? This is the Manlyhood Mancast, and here's your host, Josh Atcher. Elliot, it is great to have you on the show today, man. I've been following your work for quite some time, and uh, you have a really inspiring and encouraging message that I think really is important these days. And it's kind of cool to see, um, you know, it seems like you're willing to say things that a lot of people aren't willing to say, (laughs) and I think is needed today, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. So, um, Elliot, I, I see from your website and the, the stuff you do, you talk a lot about strength and how men need to be strong. Um, what does that look like in your own life, man? Where, where did that come from? What, what inspired you to, to push towards that? You know, I'm grateful to have something that a lot of young men growing up today didn't have, and that's a strong father in the home. Uh, my dad is from Belize. Both of my parents are from Belize. And they didn't grow up with the same type of effeminate training and blue pill ideology that most American men have received from the time we were uh, born, you know, through the media and through the music and through the schools. He literally grew up in the jungle, chasing animals and climbing trees and being barefoot. And so uh, when he came here and had his children, he raised us with the same sort of hearty uh, back to the earth, traditional value lifestyle that um, that he knew and that maybe maybe our great grandfathers knew, but no longer experienced here. When I was a kid, I kind of resented my dad because he was tough, right? None of my friends had tough dads. He, my dad was disciplined and he had boundaries and there were things we could and couldn't do. And this was very, this was very odd, I guess, um, when comparing myself to my neighbors and you know the kids that I went to school with. And so uh, when I started having my own children, when I started a family at age 23, um, I quickly discovered that my dad was right all along. You know, he, he's like one of these people that you would call like a toxic, toxic masculinity, right? And I thought my dad was toxic. I was like, this is, I, I don't wanna be like my dad. But it didn't take long for me to realize that if I don't behave in a, in a stern, stoic, straightforward, disciplined, committed fashion with my wife and children, then I'm going to suffer the fate and my family's going to suffer the fate of many American men, which we know is uh, the, the, the demise is the destruction of the family, divorce and broken homes and fatherless 
children. And uh, as I began, continued mentoring young men in the gym to grow stronger through lifting, they would come to me with questions. And I quickly found myself in a position of being like a, like a father figure or maybe a, a big brother or uncle uh, answering questions that their fathers couldn't answer that luckily I had perspective on. And so here we are today where not only do I help men grow stronger in the gym, right? I am a strength coach, but also in their lives. Yeah. I kind of have a similar story where, you know, I had a, an amazing father who taught me right from wrong and, and, you know, and I, can't tell you how many times I uh, found myself repeating <laughs> the words I swore I would never say when, when my kids came along, you know, I think that's kind of the way it works, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Like, like the question, do you want Absolutely a spanking? Same here. Of course, of course they don't want a spanking, but you're going to ask anyway. <laughs> do you want a spanking? <laughs> um, yeah. Tell one me, of my dad's favorite lines is I'm the bad guy. Right. Like, if you hate me, I don't care, but I got to do what I got to do. And if that means I'm the bad guy, then that's fine. And I find myself being the bad guy quite a bit, uh, not just at home, but of course, online. And when I'm answering questions, I mean, obviously we balance it also with love and affection. You know, I mean, e even as a tough guy, dad, you know, your kids still need a hug. They still need to know you're proud of them and that you love them, you know? You, you talked about this a little bit when you talked about kind of what's happened to the our culture around us. What what do you think in your perspective happened where men stopped being strong? What, what do you think that breakdown where where did it come from? Well, there has been a movement towards this emasculating emasculation of the men uh, and the removal of the father from the home for a very long time, but I, I, I would, I would pinpoint the escalation happening, uh, around 19, 1918, 1917, about the time of the Bolshevik revolution in, in Europe, when the Marxist discovered that, well, we can only go so far with bombs and bullets and, and, and war. Uh, if we're going to take down the entire West, we have to do it with, what Antonio Gramsci, one of the founders of cultural Marxism, called uh, cultural Marxism, the long march to the institutions. And what he, just, what he realized was that if we were going to uh, destroy, if we were going to take over the West, we were going to change the culture and make it more subservient to their new world order designs, then two things, which is essentially one thing, uh, need to happen. Number one, they've got to get the fathers out of the home. They've got to, and the way you get the fathers out of the home is through the various uh, movements like feminism uh, with this idea of pitting the genders against one another and perverting the, the gender roles and making women and children dependent on the state putting men to, to shame in a myriad of different ways, but mainly through the culture, right? Like you don't see very many strong dads in the, in the media at all anymore. You know, we went from like uh, the Cleavers, right? Like the 1950s and you know, the dad was a, was a good dad. He was always giving lessons and he was there for the kids. And, you know, he was a, a stern father and gave boundaries to, you know, the Homer Simpson types that we see on TV. So Antonio Gramsci knew that uh, we, if they could infiltrate the schools, they could infiltrate the media, the music, and the, and so forth, and 
pervert the genders, again, turn women into men, essentially, uh, and men turn men into women, that they, the people would be that much more easily to be manipulated. But this removal of the father is twofold. It doesn't, it's not just the removal of the head of the family, right? And, and um, all that's associated with it, but it was also to de-Christianize the West. He understood, as Marxists understand, that, uh, that a people who are serving their God, serving their Lord, uh, God the Father, are not going to bend and yield so quickly to the demise of the devil through their uh, vicious plans. And so, as you've seen over the past 100 years, it's been about a 100-year span, um, we've essentially became atheists, right? There's really no, there's really no faith, very little faith, very little hope, very little purpose for man uh, and mankind. And uh, as well as the, the total destruction of the family. So you could say that they're winning and, and they really are. If you just look at gender relations in the world today. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause you know, when you look at feminism, the concept, right? The concept is women should be treated equal to men. I agree with that. I think most people agree with that, but what happened is it's even that has become women are the same as men or women are better than men. And I don't see any other explanation for it myself either than, you know, that cultural Marxism, which I don't even know if a lot of people understand it or even accept that that's what's happening. But I think that the, I really do. I believe 100%. I think that that's where, where masculinity and the family and really our whole culture has fallen. We've, we've been infiltrated by philosophies that are dangerous, you know? Yeah. Anti-life philosophies. And, you know, I understand that, you know, okay, so we're living in a new age and there are people that don't think they need God in their life. You know, I need God in my life. I can't survive without it, you know, but, and, and the cool thing about God is he gives us the freedom to choose him or not choose him. But I don't understand this, uh, this almost anti, uh, Christian viewpoint that's out there to the point where it's, it's tolerance for everything and everybody except, you know, the straight Christian male <laughs> or whatever, you know, I mean, I, I don't like to fall into the persecution mindset, yeah. you know, victim mentality. I don't want to play into that, but, but I do believe that there are forces out right. there, man, that want us destroyed, you know? What better time to rise up than during these types of challenges, right? This is when we're tested, right, as men. So I believe that our generation is the one that is expected to be the remnant and the one to turn it around. And that's why it's so important for the work that you do and the work that I do to wake, to wake men back up again. The things you're talking about in your podcast and things I'm speaking about with young men, we didn't learn from our fathers or our grandfathers. They may not have even known. So there really is a great awakening happening. And it has to, as with all great movements, begin with men. Uh, women aren't going to do it. They can't do it. It's not their responsibility to do it. It's really up to us. And so the very first step is we've got to be able to take those blue pill glasses off and see how we've been manipulated into this subservient role in society rather than being the leaders in our homes and being leaders in our communities as we're designed to be. Um, I think too, and I think you may agree with me here, you know, a lot of people say, well, how do we change this? Is it too late? Is culture gone? And I'm always like, 
look, you got four kids at home. <laughs> That's where you start. You know, you start by raising up that generation to do right. You know, I, I, I'm assuming that that's kind of kind of I mean, obviously, I think we all have varying degrees of influence. And so, you know, you've got a really big influence. You know, you could have kept your um, your YouTube channel about fitness, you know, and only talked about that. But you saw that need to, to do more with it, you know. So what do you think is, is kind of our, our next step? How do we, you know, I I know there's a lot of guys at home, especially who, again, didn't have that father figure, you know, where do they go from here? Like, look, I don't like what society has done to me and where I'm at. How do I change this? What, What would you say to those guys? Well, you know, I, I am convinced that we're going to have, some struggles it's going to be tough maybe this is the time where it doesn't literally turn around but we've got to be able to see what's happening and start making moves in the right direction and the family is the nucleus of the society as the family goes so does the nation and the family is divided the family is divided and you know say what you will about feminism but you know it's origins or its so-called origin in the suffrage movement and making women you know be able to vote bottom line is it divided the family and it started to they, once you divide the husband and the wife in the home by having politicians cater to the desires of the woman and then separating that from the desires of the man now the family is completely split so you've got completely different values in the home And so what has to happen in order for the entire, for the culture to once again become cohesive is for the family to become cohesive again. And you ask me, what is it that we need to do? But if you really look, if you look at the work of Eric Hoffer, who, uh, who he, he studied the archetype of revolutions, how things happen. One of the things he says that there's three types of men in every revolution. There's the men of words, there's the men of action and the men of pragmatic action. And so I'm convinced we're still in the, in the time of the man of words. If you think about the American Revolution, you have Thomas Paine, right, who's the man of words. He wrote Common Sense. Then you would have George Washington, man of action. He put the army together in order to resist. And then men of pragmatic action like Jefferson, who now wrote a new constitution. Uh, where we are right now, it's, it's imperative for us to speak up. We, and that's why, you know, you say sometimes I speak uh, in a countercultural way that you know, turns people off. I'm not trying to piss people off. What I'm trying to do is to wake them up. And sometimes you need a loud, annoying alarm clock to get you up out of your bed. If not, the world will show you, but maybe it'll be too late. I think I agree with you 100 percent there. I think that somebody's got to be that Paul Revere, you know, and say, come on, the British are coming. Right. Let's, let's change things. So it actually, you know, that actually brings up something kind of interesting because I remember when I first first found you, someone had sent me one of your videos years and years ago. And my first impression of Elliot was, uh, I don't like this guy. <laughs> you know, it, it was it was kind of cocky, you know, and um, and then uh, I but I paid attention. And I, I, you know, hit subscribe on the YouTube channel, you know, and I watched and, and I think two things happened. I think one, I realized, yeah, this guy is the, 
the town crier ringing the bell saying, pay attention. And the other thing that happened, and I think this is just, um, you know, like I said, this has been years that I've been kind of watching what you're doing. I think there's also a level of maturity in your own self too, that I've, that I've seen, you know what I mean? Where it's like, yeah, okay. I'm going to be the annoying guy who's going to tell you the truth. But I think there's not a softening, but a, um, diplomacy that has kind of entered into your life a little bit. At least that's just my, like I said, I, I don't know if, if you can attest to that, or if you still think that there's not a difference, but I I've seen that kind of grow in there. And I think it's actually put you in a unique position where, um, you know, you're not just a, a, a muscle head with a little bit of knowledge. You're actually somebody that knows what he's talking about. And, um, you know, I, I think people would be suited well if they pay attention. <laughs> would you say that's true, you know, uh, over the years that, that, you know, maybe that, that, that your, that your message has been refined a little bit from maybe where you started only because my vision has gotten clearer and my mission has become more substantial. I knew that something was wrong. I knew that something wasn't right. And I think a lot of people can sense that we just don't know where to look, right? There's this sense of, em uh, uh, emptiness, meaninglessness. One of the biggest challenge for young men, I would say, especially those that, that come to me for help, are knowing who they are and why they're here, right? This is an existential question, one of which, you know, maybe generations ago, only the, only the wealthy, only the monks, only the people who had time to think about that stuff, they would ponder, right? These were the great minds that came up with philosophy. While every other man, well, worked and did what he did, what was in front of him. And he raised his family and he, you know, did the best that he could with what he had. Where today, because luxury is so omnipresent, because life is so easy, because there's so much, uh, co there's comfort and there's, uh, what is it, convenience, all these things were thought to make our lives better, but in a way it's made us more bored. And as a result of being more bored, ask more questions and when we ask more questions and we start to dig in and realize that they can't be answered, we, um, you know, we, 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 we hit a crisis. So for myself, once that crisis moment happened, right, I must've been in my mid thirties, uh, I began to realize that I, that the key that's missing, the missing puzzle piece here is the initiation of men, boys into manhood and the mission that's relayed to them about what it is to be a man working itself out into the world, particularly as it relates to family, family, family. Once I really, once my, my actually, in fact, when my, when my wife's father died, something came over me. I had a series of really strange dreams and I started to have uh, this, this word father, 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 it was just repeated over and over again into my consciousness. And so it was about that time that I started to take my role as a father in the home to a level that I didn't even know existed. I thought I was doing everything I could do, but I really wasn't, I was being way too soft. Uh, and then realizing, wow, the big, the big missing piece for most men in this world, the men that I mentor to are fathers. And so now that I know that that's, I'm, I'm, I'm focused now and no one can knock me off my horse because I know what it is I'm after. It's not willy nilly. My daughters, uh, had, we had a misunderstanding. My daughters not too long ago, they saw people make videos 
tearing me apart. They're like, oh, this guy's a misogynist and he hates women. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. I've been married to the same woman for 25 years and I've got four, I got three daughters. I don't hate women. But one of my daughters caught wind of, a, of another YouTuber, this, you know, overweight fembot that had like a big ring through her nose, was calling me all these names and making me look really bad. And my daughter watched the video and she was upset with me like, dad, this is, you, you know, you're wrong. And it didn't take long for me to point around and point to her house, to point to our house, point to our family, point to their mother and, and show her, daughter, you have to understand something. No matter what comes out of my mouth, my underlying goal is the same, and that is to make families work again. You're blessed. You're lucky. You come from a family with a mother and a father, both who love each other, respect each other, and raise their children with traditional values. If you go by the way of the world that hates the family, that, that hates masculinity, you're going to fall into the same satanic, satanic trap that has caused the loss of millions of innocent lives through abortion and the destruction of millions of family through divorce and uh you know other offsprings of feminism yeah it's funny that you talk about your your daughter kind of discovering the <laughs> you know the things they say about you and 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 having her own little crisis there i i can picture that 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 process did do you think that she uh came around did she understand what you were saying after you explained it well the proof is in the pudding they say right you, you, you'll not know somebody by what they say, you know people by what they do and how they live. And that's why I said all they need to do was point to their mother and say, is your mother an oppressed woman? Do I oppress or suppress or hold back your mother? Your mother has everything. She has an amazing life. She has everything that a woman that wants to have children could possibly dream of. So I don't have to tell you anything. I just, I'm just asking you to look around. What do you see? How do I treat you as my daughters? What kind of values do I instill into you? What do I do for you uh, that shows the, shows the truth of my heart when I say the things that I say? And there's no refuting it. I have, a, I have a, like I said, I have a marriage of how, how many married? We started dating when we were 14 years old. So I've been with my wife over 25 years. We have been married uh, for going on 20 years. We've got three daughters. Uh, she and I, you know, their mother and I have, and my daughters know this, they, we have the best relationship of any married family that they even know. And half the families that they know are, they're, they're divorced. So I'm like, just look, babe, just look. If the world is telling you one thing, look at the, look at the fruits of what they're saying. These people who tear me down, especially the feminists who tear me down, these are not happy people. They don't have nice families. They don't have good uh, relationships with their spouse or anything at all. These are perverted people who have wrong thinking about who they are, what they are, and why they're here. They've lost the foundation of what makes a people, a society, worth its weight. And that is men and women coming together, playing their roles, building a family, and being the nucleus of society. It boils right down to that. And if you could show me that you're making that happen with the things that you're saying out there, then great. But if all you show me is whining, complaining, denigrating, but yet you have nothing to prove for it, you have this, you know, this, this young lady who made my video, she probably, obviously, no man will deal with her. No man would put up with her unless he's some sort of a simp. Uh, and guarantee that she's going to relay values to 
her children that are not life sustaining. I'm sure they're all pro baby killers, pro contraception, pro uh, divorce, pro big government uh, coming in and taking over the family through the divorce courts. And it's a mess. And so I stand for everything that's the opposite of the of predominant culture, cultural mean. You know, we uh, have a similar story. We got married young, had twins on our one year wedding anniversary, uh, had two more kids after that. And so the, we've got, only got one left at home now. Most of them are grown and I'm actually going to be a grandpa here pretty soon. Probably by the time this airs, I'll be a grandpa. Oh, and congrats. dude, yeah, it's awesome. It's exciting. But, um, you know, I look at it and I'm, you know, we did things different and people thought we were crazy, you know, you know, right. they're like, why are you getting married so young? Is she pregnant? No, she's not pregnant. We're in love. And this is what we're going to do. And then, you know, they're like, right. why did you have babies so soon? Twins, how are you going to, oh, that's going to be so, no, that's a blessing, man. Like, that's like right. the biggest victory in my life was holding those kids <laughs> as they all popped out of their mom. You know, I mean, right. like, you know, and was it hard? Yes, it was hard. There were sacrifices that you have to make, you know, like raising a family is not easy, but it's the yeah. most satisfying and rewarding thing I've ever done. It's the best thing that we can do. I, I don't think there's a more noble calling for a man and woman. And I, I was listening to uh, the exposition of Genesis 6 by John MacArthur, and he, he started to explain how marriage is the, bless, is the greatest blessing. Marriage is the greatest gift that God has given us and in order for us to be fruitful and to multi multiply. Each, each child is, is an added blessing. It's, uh, it's, I think it is the pinnacle of being a man. Yeah. I, honestly, that was the moment that I knew. I mean, I know that, you know, like I said, I had a great dad. I don't know that there was a moment where he's like, okay, you're a man now, son, you know, which I do kind of mm. look back and I tried to make sure I gave my boys that. But, um, when my twins were born, dude, you're like, like nothing has ever felt more manly than holding those newborn babies. You know, I mean, that's, <laughs> Like I made that, <laughs> or at least I helped. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. So how old are your kids now? Uh, 11, 13, 15, 17. Awesome. So you're not too far off from, from uh, that. They enter the world and they go out and they do their thing. And when, dude, I'm telling you, man, there's something, there's some awesome pride when those things happen. You know, when it, right now they're, uh, you know, they're going to go somewhere and they can say, Hey, I know your dad, but that's about to flip dude. Like they're going to go out and make their, their mark. And they'll be like, you know, you'll become their dad rather than them becoming your kid. You know what I mean? Like it, the, the whole thing shifts and yeah. it's, I like the way you put that. It, it's a pretty cool moment, you know, where, where they become the stars, you know, my daughter uh, is an insurance agent and her, uh, well, she was an insurance agent. Now she's going to be a mom, so which is pretty cool. But her face was plastered all over billboards all over town, and it was like driving around town like, I made that. <laughs> That's my daughter. That's yep. great, man. Congrats. Yep, you're doing it, brother. So um, so you've got a lot of guys, obviously, that are coming to you, and they're like, look, I want to be a man. Like, like I want to be strong internally, uh, externally. What is, what is that process look like for them? How do you walk them through that process of, of really entering into their and embracing the manhood that they have? 
Well, one of the things that we've lost with modernity is an important process that anthropologists like Mercer Eliade recognize there's a cross-cultural pattern of male initiation. And so I'll briefly describe the, I'll give you the big picture view, talk about where we're dropping the ball, but then talk about the details of masculine initiation, because it, it, no one's doing it for us. Our elders are not available any longer. They don't, they, most of them don't even know this. Um, well, the very first thing that needs to happen, and this, again, like I say, this is cross-cultural. You can even look into many myth stories, origin stories, you know, Parsifal and the, and the, and the, the golden, or the um, Fisher King and things of that nature. Uh, it's even in the Bible in Genesis uh, that there's a requirement for a boy once he starts to become a man, right? Testosterone starts coming up where he goes from being a child to a teenager, in essence, where a, a very important thing needs to happen. Number one, there needs to be a movement away from the world of the mother. And so what is meant by a movement away from the world of the mother? Of course, number one, is there needs to be a movement away from the mother herself. And if you if you look at, uh, you know, interesting books like Iron John, you know, a book about men, he talks about how even the Cherokee, when a young man would become a certain age, the old initiators would take him, as was tradition, remove him from that the realm of the mother, the word of the mother, and then atone the world of the father. I'll talk about that in a moment. But even at that, even at once that process has been completed, the boy then no longer associates with his mother the same way. Uh, they say that it's important for him not to look into his mother's eyes any longer. And that in order to communicate with his mother, he has to do it through his, you know, his sisters or somebody else. You may ask yourself like, wow, why? That's very strange. Why would a boy, why would a boy need to be removed that in that fashion from the love of his mother? Well, if that doesn't happen, the boy continues to live an effeminate life. He still remains half mama boy, but in a big man's body. And that's what we have today, because we have a situation where there really are no fathers. There are very few fathers left uh, and single mothers rule the roost. And so even if even if there's a two parent home, for the most part, the mom stays too involved, overly involved in the life of the young man. When, in fact, when that transition period is supposed to happen, the father then should be becoming the main mentor. Mother is main mentor up until about age 12 for a boy. But after that, mother no longer sits in that primary role of, 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 um, of mentor. The father, the grandfathers, the uncles, the great-grandfather, the men of the tribe are supposed to take that over in order to make that boy into a worthy masculine part of the culture. Again, like I said, you know, today you have like six foot six, 300 pound offensive linemen who, you know, you say anything about their mama and they, they, they start crying. Don't say nothing about my mama. Right. And the first thing you want to do when they become successful, successful, they want to, uh, you know, buy mama, I'm going to save you. Mama, I'm going to buy you a house and mama, you know, uh, even Drake in that one song, he says to the girl that wants to be with him. I don't love I don't love you. I only love my mama. I only love my bed and my mama. We live in a culture of mama's boy. We have not received the, the proper uh, separation from our mothers. And so some of the ways that looks that, that ends up in our carrying with us through our lives, whether our mom is conscious of that or she's actually actively involved in our lives uh, is not the, is not the case. The world of the mother is also synonymous with the world of material or matrix. The word matriarchy 
mother, material, matrix. These are all associated with creature comfort, sensual gratification, right? Addictions, right? Things that make us feel good. Addiction to porn, addiction to sex, right? Chasing girls to fulfill that hole that, that, that their mother left in their heart. I think a lot of young men, man, they get these big broken hearts because they allow themselves first to lust for these girls, but then they fall in love and hope this woman can fill the place that their mother once did. And so you got a lot of grown men, married men that treat and think of their wives like a substitute mother. And this, this doesn't make for good polarity in the home. So any kind of material uh, uh, addiction or hankering or neediness comes from this, from this uh, lack of separation from the mother. That's one half of the equation that's critical that has to happen a boy needs to move away from his mother but with that then is the atonement with the world of the father the world as opposed to the world of the mother which is material comfort the world of the father is spirit the word father comes from paternity pattern paternal right patriarchy even even patriotism which comes from the word pattern Pattern is another word for archetype, the spiritual world. So it's a movement away, what has to happen is a movement away from flesh to spirit, from mother to father. And that movement towards the father is rife with first challenges, austerity, and the breaking down of the mommy boy mindset. Once that's been established, the boy becomes a tabla rasa, a clean slate for the imprint of the masculine frame for that society. That means he doesn't come back into the tribe until he receives his masculine mission. And for most, and for, for the most part, prior to, you know, like the, the industrial revolution and such, uh, that was a matter of protecting and providing, right? Being a strong, stoic, supportive, able-bodied boundary keeper to, support everything that's in, that's happening on the inside who's on the inside the women and the children so it was incumbent upon these men to be tough men to be strong men to be mission purpose men in order to pr protect that which is valuable on the inside that whole process and even even the um the byproduct of that process you know the outcome of that process seems so foreign to us today on so many different levels and it's what it's the key it's the root of why we're suffering so culturally, we have then abandoned that model of initiation. I think of the African proverb that says, if the boys aren't initiated, they'll burn down the village. You know, I think that's definitely what we're seeing now. Oh, yeah. So, so the man comes to you and he says, I want to be a better man. <laughs> I don't know what this means. Do you have an initiation that you work them through or, or walk them through? What does that look like? So this is, I'm going to pull a, a page straight out of Jesse Lee Peterson's book where he asserts that for every man, any man to become a man, he must first, like I said before, separate from the mother. But what does that look like? Forgiveness. This is his contention. And I believe that it's true. And we need to separate from our mother and forgive her. Uh, forgive both of our parents, but as long as at, there's any emotional content associated with the mother, you're trapped by her. So if you're overly attached, meaning, you know, loving your mother too much, there is a, there is there's 100% an inappropriate attachment to the mother in our society and an over-attachment by, by the sons. It doesn't mean don't love your mother, but there's an there's a, a unresourceful bond there that needs to be broken. And that, uh, that bond is emotional. 
And so any emotional content that you have towards your mother needs to be explored and, and, and dealt with. And for the most part, at least according to JLP, uh, there needs to be a forgiveness. There needs to be a, a, because once you forgive, then you can let go. And so to forgive the mother, uh, and I, you know, it just sounds kind of strange because a lot of times you're like, well, my mom didn't do anything wrong. Well, you might not be conscious of it, but there's but that in that uh, unresourceful bond with the mother is one that she wants to keep. It's an, it's a mother's nature to want to keep her boy safe, right? To keep her to keep her babies close, no matter how old they how old they get. Um, Mama always wants to be there to take care of you. If you if you look at uh, what happened to Parsifal in the Fisher King, when he saw the warriors galloping past the tent that he and his mom lived in. He knew right away that that's what I that's what I need to go do, and he leaves his mom. But the the, the part of that that uh, speaks to the human condition is, is that the mother dies. He he goes, and because he leaves, she dies of a broken heart. Nobody wants to break their mom's heart, right? And so there's this sense of guilt sometimes that's associated with all that has to be broken, and 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 that's just the beginning, because the mommy addiction is also associated with sex addiction pornography addiction, masturbating, addiction to food, sugar, sweets, junk food, addiction to drugs, alcohol, any kind of self-soothing uh, that we engage in is a form of trying to fill the mommy hole. And so what has to happen, number one, you have to become aware of your subtle addictions and they're everywhere, right? I, I, I took some time to explore the addiction to the, to the self, to the, these phones. And if you, and people treat them like a drug, like if they don't get, if they don't have their phone first thing in the morning and last thing at night, they'll freak out. You ever see somebody like lose their phone? They can't find their phone. They're frantic. And it's because it's, it, it's a feel good drug, right? And so we got to explore where are we attached? Where do we have these subtle addictions? And the, just like I said before, when that movement towards the father happens, there's an intermediary called a rites of passage. A rites of passage is always associated with austerity. It's always associated with challenges. So one of the things that we could do, and I see a lot of young men doing it today, and, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm proud to see them when they do it, are to go on these fasts, right? You can fast and should fast from all dopamine, all dopamine inducing stuff like coffee and alcohol and sugar and cell phones, uh, any, anything that keeps you, uh, you know, like sexually perverted, like pornography and masturbation is a, a huge movement called no fap where, you know, when I was a kid, nobody, we didn't really talk about masturbating and that's a part of, you know, what keeps us in the dark. Now this generation is so open about their, because, you know, pornography is so omnipresent, uh, about their, their, their struggling with masturbation. And so to, you know, practice to, to practice no fat, right? Like make your commitment to not rubbing your meat every day, right? Make a commitment right. to, you know, cutting out junk food, cutting out alcohol. You gotta, you got to install, install your own austerity, right? You got to challenge yourself. One of the things that I did when I started becoming awake to this was I would do prolonged fasts, right? Fasting. I would say I put right at the top of the list. Fasting is at the top of the list to begin to break your mommy bond and addiction, addictive ways, because it is one of these things that has been prescribed over time through all, all cultures, cross-culturally, uh, as, as, a, as an ascetic means for ascension, for growing stronger in the soul. Uh, also, we live in a culture where, you know, 
plenty has become a paradox because we have so much that we become gluttons. We're gluttons. We're sick with, with options and opportunities. And so by limiting that, particularly as it relates to that thing we do more than any, which is eat, really causes an objectivity to a separation starts to happen between the life of the soul and the life of the body. And you begin to recognize that you're not a slave to your body. Anything that's effeminate, anything that's material comfort is an attachment to the body. Men, because the movement towards the father is a spiritual movement, have to take it upon ourselves to begin to objectify the body, move above the body, not be ruled by the lower nature, by the lower body. And so the very first step, or the very first step, like I said before, is 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 make make peace with your mother and separate emotionally from her. Then you're ready for the austerity. You're ready for the challenge of being a man. And you could do that in a myriad of different ways for yourself these days, right? Even just going on like adventure hikes or you know getting involved with jujitsu or something like that. You have to move away and you got to challenge yourself. You got to go through tough stuff. No man becomes a man until he's been challenged. He has to be challenged. And right, right now we got to challenge ourselves because there's no one there to do it for us. Then the next step is, and this is, you know, again, once again, the world is against everything I'm saying right here. The world doesn't want you to, to stop eating, right? Because uh, the, the, the industry will suffer. The world doesn't want you to become, a strong man. And the world doesn't want you to atone with the father. What atoning with the father looks like it, for, for us traditionally, cross-culturally, was a movement towards religion. And this is why, for the most part, men created religions. I don't think there are any religions created by women. Men created religions. Men were the ones who needed, in a way, an atonement with God the Father and instruction by him so that we know what to do and who to be. Women don't need that the same way. Women's fate is, is, is a little more inscribed in their biology. Right where the pinnacle of a, of, a, of a woman's purpose is to make babies. Uh, people don't like to hear that, but biology has granted you that gift. But of course, in our you know backwards world, that's looked at as something uh, to be denigrated. Right? What do you mean women should have babies? Well, in the same way that a man should atone with his father and become the spiritual head of his family, that we have roles. We have very clearly defined roles, and so the man's role is to become that spiritual head, to be the uh, to be the conduit between God the Father and his family. And so this is where a man would, you know, depending on the culture, they would it, they would relay the myth, right? The, the myths that guide the culture. Or as a, as a Christian or a, a Muslim or Abrahamic religion, then you take on the uh, the responsibility of being a father, being a patriarch, being you know a leader of a, of a small church, a small tribe, which is your family. Yeah, I definitely see that. I think a lot of I tell a lot of men, you know, you're the priest of your home. You know, yeah. your kids are going to know God based on your personality, on how you treat them and what you model for them. And it's no wonder that so many people have turned away when there's no father to set that example. 100%. So uh, there's a lot to unpack with what you just shared. I really, that's, it's amazing. And I, I think there's some really good stuff, actually some stuff that I think is speaking to me too. You know what I mean? That's really, really a neat uh, perspective that I hadn't really thought of. So I appreciate that. Um, you know, the idea of, 
of the things we do for comfort being related to the mother. You know, that's, that's, that's really wise, really wise stuff. So you talk a lot about fasting. You talk about challenging what, um, is this something that you think that, that we as men then need to continue to maintain? Like, it's not like you just arrive and become a man. Like you have to keep doing this, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you get the opportunity to break through that mommy addiction barrier and recognize that I need to move into an atonement with God, the father, with my father, literally your literal father. Um, I really didn't get to know myself. I didn't know myself until I began to reconcile with my dad. Like I told you, I used to resent my father because he was too strong. And I grew up in, you know, a beta five world where, you know, unless you were respecting women, right. And, and, and being the, the, the blue pill uh, beta boy that, does what the school teacher, what the mommy prefers rather than listening to the father and maybe not understanding him right away. It wasn't until I began that process of atoning with my father that uh, I began to make any progress at all. So what I'm saying is that was until I was almost 27 years old. It took me a very long time. You know, I, I was, I think I already had my third child by then. So by mere virtue of even knowing that this exists, you can begin to start making a movement. But here's the thing, the, the final or the, uh, the last stretch of this, if you will, of course, is, the, is a stretch towards death, right? Because that is our ultimate fate, that we're going to meet our maker. And so the ongoing process of being a man is to be involved in your religion, right? Begin to, to understand and study the scripture of your your people's origin and the, and, and the, the meaning behind it and the code, the code by which God expects us to live. There, there's a right and wrong. And that's, and it's very masculine to recognize that, that to be discerning and to have that decisiveness and that, those boundaries in, in our feminine world, right? This whole idea that everything's okay, everything's subjective, lukewarm, gray, middle areas, my truth, you know, this whole idea, it's, an, it's a very effeminate way of thinking. And why use that word effeminate? Well, it's talking about women. Women are feminine and they are justly feminine. They should be. Effeminate is, is, is a man quality that comes from not taking on the responsibility of being a man and hankering for comfort. We spend too much time wanting our comforts and not wanting to take responsibility of a man. And so when I say, you know, when I use that word, I just wanted to clarify, you know, we're spending all this time being less than what's expected of us. And so study study your faith study your study the scriptures of your of your faith and live it that's key live it we live in the west where christendom was the prevailing uh um moral code that got us to where we, got us to where we are but we no longer live our faith even so-called christians eh, nobody lives their faith nobody really does i i'm doing homeschooling with my kids uh, we started last year and this year and even today, I recognize, like, you know, even the, what I do when we start the Bible study, I did Bible study with my children today, I like to play music, like different Christian songs. And there was a girl playing a guitar, a woman playing guitar, singing this beautiful song. And she has her head covered in a, in a number of the, a number of the um, videos. She's got her head covered. My daughter's like, why does she wear that thing on her head? And I had to explain to them, well, because she's practicing her faith. She's practicing the traditional Christian 
way for a woman to be. And that is, you know, both men and women show humility, but they do it differently. And a woman does it by covering her head. So that may sound strange in our world today, but there's there's that. And there are a lot of other things that uh, our world has thrown away that's associated with how to live out your faith. Small things, but significant things. I think that there's a tremendous value in that, in that, you know, even down to practicing charity, you know, and doing good for people or like you said, fasting or spending some time, you know, do in devotion and reading and studying and praying and meditating, you know, we, those things matter. How about avoiding fornication? That's a tough one in our world because the minute you, you, even that word, it irritates people. They don't want to hear about you taking their donuts away. They don't want you to take their goodies away. And if you study the work of E. Michael Jones, he's got a book called Libido Dominandi. He begins to explain the history of domination through, through, uh, sex, through sexual liberation. He calls sexual liberation domination because then people become slaves to their sins. And the minute you become slave to a sin, you're a slave to the demon behind that sin, and you're much more easily manipulated. And you know that this is demonic. Everything I'm talking about is a spiritual warfare. You know this is demonic merely by the reaction, the, the visceral reaction that you hear, that you get from some people when you bring things like this up. Like, abortion is wrong. Like you say abortion is wrong in the wrong circle. They'll, the fangs come out and the blood on the fingers, they want to, they want to destroy you when all you're simply saying is stop killing your baby out of having sports sex, but they love their sin so much and they feel so justified in it that they they want to tear you apart. You said it feels, sounds like, or it seems like there's a, an attack on Christianity today. And you're right because this is an attack on our values. Yeah. Hey, Elliot, I ask these questions for all my guests here that I, I, I love to hear. And I would really like to hear your perspective on this. Let's say young Elliot walks in the room, you know, five, six, seven years old. And I know we've got to do some space time bending to make that happen. So don't worry about the science fiction behind it. But young Elliot walks in the room and you've got the opportunity to speak into his life. What do you want him to know? I'm not sure I would interfere. I would, uh, I would just watch. I would just watch him. I'd be, I'm as an adult now would just be curious to see what that guy was like, what that little kid was like, but I don't think I would interfere because I would, if had I not had all the experience I had up until this moment, I couldn't be standing in the place that I am with the voice that I have because I simply wouldn't know. Right. So if anything, I would just give the young boy encouragement. I would say, you know, Always keep faith, always stay strong and keep going no matter what, you know, just, just simple words like that, you know, just keep going, brother, keep your eyes open keep your feet on the ground and keep trucking, never give up. Awesome. I think it's, I think that's good advice to give him and he probably won't listen to it till he's older anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. And there that goes, right. Because one of Satan's plots is to, is in his means of destroying the family is to separate the generations. This whole idea of generational separation where, you know, we have Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, so on and so forth, is a, is a newfangled creation because you 
years past, there, a, a young man, his father and his grandfather, there was more vertical integration. They, they had more of the same values. But once pop culture took over, instead of the values going vertically, right, like my father said and his father said and their father said, it started going laterally. And it wasn't, it didn't, it didn't matter what the father said, it was what my friends say, what my friends say, or the TV says, or the music says, pop culture. So each generation is now layered laterally. And with that, there's a separation from the generation above it. No more vertical integration through the family. Now it's complete separation from the family and lateral integration with a so-called generation. And these generations, who, who schools your generations? The public school system, uh, TikTok, MTV, whatever, you, you name it, Netflix. I, uh, I think about this all the time. You know, when we went to the public school, you know, they stuck us with kids exactly our own age. That was it. You know, four years separation max, you know, you know, but it was almost always exactly your age and you were stuck with them. And, you know, then you, then you come across all these guys and they're now adults and they're like, I have no friends my own age. And I'm like, screw that, dude. You've got people that are five and 10 years older that you're learning from. And you got people five and 10 years younger that you're teaching, you know, like you don't need to have friends your own age. Like that's a myth that they indoctrinated yes. into you. So yeah, I agree. The next question is this to the guys that are listening today to the podcast, what is the best advice that you can give them? I mean, you've given some fantastic advice this whole time, but what do you think? And, and it's okay if it repeats, but what do you think is the best advice that you can give these men? So we live, like I said, in the, in the age of words, right? You have the men of words and men of action, the men of pragmatic action, like I just discovered before, I spoke about before. What's amazing right now, although we have been so atomized and disintegrated and destroyed as a culture, what's amazing about the internet right now is that we do have access to podcasts like yours, books like The Way of the Superior Man by David Dita, books like Iron John by Robert Bly. Um, the whole, you know, it's going to sound weird that I say this, but it was the seeds for what you and I are doing right now, which is the pickup artist movement that happened maybe, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago, where these men were frustrated with trying to understand women. They would get online through a series of blogs and, and, and chat rooms began to trade notes on what works and what doesn't work with women. That is so, that is so important because we've been told everything the opposite about intersexual dynamics and gender relationships. We don't, we're not told the truth. And that's why relationships aren't working. And I, and I, I applaud those men, right? Not the ones who become promiscuous and you know spend their lives dipping in every woman that they could particularly find. I don't even think most men really want that. From my experience, men want, men want a wife, men want a family. They just couldn't figure women out, especially in this diabolically disoriented age. So these are men that got together online and they started talking and many of them wrote books. And through that, the red pill movement happened where men started to really have a scientific mindset about who we are and who women are and how is best to relate to them. And I'll tell you this, that it was through that, it was through the red pill that I became Christian again, because all these are their old values are ancient traditional values that helped society sustain itself for thousands of years. Today, they call patriarchy misogyny. Today, they say that, uh, you know, uh, women are better than men. This is really is the narrative. It's not about equality. Uh, it's about, it's about 
topsy-turvying the world. It's about disrupting the family. And that means you got to feed. The Marxists understood that, that you, for, for there to be societal change, there has to be an oppressor and an oppressed class. It won't work if you don't have an oppressor and an oppressed class. All this, all the way we're living today and the gut reaction, negative gut reaction people have to hearing some of the things I say is because we have been so indoctrinated into a backwards way of dealing with men, women, and family. And so we got to go back. So when I say, you know, you asked me the question, what, what, what to do, what to do is to study, enlighten yourself, learn, listen to podcasts like this, read books like Rational Mail by Rolo Tomasi and, you know, Hard Times Create Strong Men by uh, Stephen Arnio. I'll be having a book come out very soon called Make Men Strong Again. Understand these things all throughout culture this is another strange thing that modernity has shelved on us they say now modern modern people say oh a man should just know how to be a man it doesn't work that way it never worked that way our ancestors understood that boys are instructed into how to be a man we need to take instruction we need to learn from people who are teaching young men how to be real men anybody who says oh you don't need that or uh you know those guys there's something wrong with those guys these are men who will be stay trapped in their boyhood for the rest of their lives we must get around older men right like guys like yourself and i were you know 20 years older or more than a lot of the young men that maybe listen to this, get around older uncle type dudes that are going to tell you the truth because they want to see you succeed. Yeah. I think that's excellent advice, my friend. So Elliot, uh, for the guys that are listening that want to connect with you, that want to see what you're doing, maybe they want to check out your, uh, your strength training or the, the work that you're doing, building Kings. I like that, that phraseology that you use. What's the best way for them to, to connect with you? So if you're interested in these kind of conversations, you know, you just look up my name on YouTube, Elliot Hulse. I have a channel, it's just Elliot Hulse. And um, essentially I, I answer questions young men have. That's how this all started. I started out in the gym and after the workouts, young men would stick around and they want to hear what old Uncle E has to say about girls or parents or career or school. And so that uh, that trans that transferred onto YouTube. And that's what you'll find if you go to my LALS channel. If you're into strength training, strong man, powerlifting, you can go to my strength camp channel. This is it right here. And you know, you'll get to see me training in the gym with my wife. Uh, sometimes I'm training with my children, right? So you get to see, you know, kind of a, a peek into how I live my life. Awesome. So I'll make sure to include that information in the show notes as well for anybody that wants to click the link and see what it is that you're doing. I really appreciate having you on the Manlyhood Mancast, my friend. You've got some fantastic insights, and I know that it'll be something that'll get our guys thinking, get them talking, get them hopefully taking action. Yeah, man. Well, thank you for having me, Josh. It was a great show. Hey, I really appreciate you. Thank you very much. Hey, man. I see you. I see your fire going out. I see your marriage barely holding on. I know you're broke, wore out, and at the end of your rope. I've been there. It sucks. Sucks the spark right out of you. Till all you have is a pile of wet wood. It feels like it's never gonna burn. I can't fix your problems. I can't make her love you again. I can't lose 50 pounds for you or fill your bank account. But I can remind you of who you are. I can share some of my fire. 
I can help you make a plan to get your life back on track. So let's go. Let's do this. Let's reignite our lives. There's a lot at stake. No one wants their marriage to end in divorce. No one wants to wallow in despair or to the dark places that follow. So let's do it. Let's reignite our lives. Let's reignite our passion, our marriage, our health, our career, our dreams, our mindsets. Get reignited today. It's not often that we get to talk to a bodybuilder and a thought leader of the caliber of Elliot Hulse. He's got an amazing following on Facebook, on Instagram, and on YouTube. Please go check out what he's doing. It's really good stuff. And if you appreciate what we're doing here at Manlyhood, I want you to go to manlyhood.com slash store. Grab yourself a Manlyhood t-shirt. We've got some really cool new designs there that can help you uh, step it up. You can wear that t-shirt out and represent the Manlyhood brand, which isn't just about me, it's about you. It's about helping you become the person that I know and that I believe that you can become. So please go to the manlyhood.com store and support what we're doing here at Manlyhood. Listen, guys, I love you. I care about you. And I'll see you next time. If you want to be a better man, check out our website, manlyhood.com for blogs, videos, and more from our Manlyhood team. Men, you can also join our private Facebook group, Manlyhood Man Cave, where you can meet up with a band of brothers who will challenge you and help you on your journey of manhood. This episode is produced by Hatcher Media for Manlyhood.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to the show. Tune in again for more of the Manlyhood Mancast.